Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. This morning we'll continue our series called Playlist, Psalms About Seeking God. And today I'm going to be in Psalm 105. I will get there in due time. Um, and I've entitled my message, Depending Upon God's Promises. So I want you to imagine with me for just a minute. Imagine you're walking your dog when suddenly your dog gets away and runs away from you. You chase your dog to get it back. You become trapped underground and you're rescued by the fire department. Sounds crazy, right? Well, that actually happened on June the 4th 2020 in a town called Nashua, New Hampshire. A uh, lady was walking her dog and then escaped into some woods where there was a stream and some sewer pipes. And although there was a fence around the pipes, the fence was open that day and the dog entered. The woman followed the dog and chased it, watch this, about 150 feet down a pipe. Now let that sink in. 150 feet, I'm not good at math, but that's 50 yards. 50 yards is half the length of a football field. At what point do you go, I don't know if this is a good idea, right? But she, she chased her dog 150 feet down this small covert, you know, sewer pipe. The fire chief said when the woman reached the end of the pipe, there was a running stream of water. I'll leave that to your imagination. And she found her dog and kept it above water. She had a hold of his leash. The dog's trying to tread water. And uh, they started crying out for help. And eventually this woman hears what she thinks a cry for help. She ends up going to the culvert and hears it, calls 911. The fire department comes. It takes them 10 minutes to locate them. And finally they rescue the dog and then the woman. They found them about six feet underneath the street. Okay, and ultimately, even though they both had cuts and bruises, they're okay. Now, to get the rest of this story, we've got a video, and it's about two minutes. It's a, it's a newsreel from a news station in Boston, so check this out. It's two minutes. A ladder truck, a special hazards truck, and an ambulance. They removed the manhole cover and lifted out first a dog. The owner had been holding on to it by a leash in the water below. The dog was anxious, but otherwise okay. Then they pulled to safety the owner, who suffered some scrapes to her head. Other neighbors watching, astonished. And all of a sudden, I see a dog come out. And I'm like, 
wait a minute, hold off. That's not supposed to happen. There's not, there's not supposed to be a dog in the uh, sewer system. And then a couple seconds later, a lady comes out. And I was like, okay, there's a dog and a lady coming out of the sewer system. Officials say the dog had escaped and run into the culvert, the owner following it inside the narrow underground pipe to rescue it before they became stuck. It was a day. It was certainly a day. The owner was taken to the hospital, but is said to be okay. It is bizarre. It's a miracle that everyone's fine. That woman who called 911 tells me she feels grateful that it wasn't a rainy day with everyone inside their homes and unable to hear those screams. She feels lucky to be where she was when she was. Christy McCarthy, Boston 25 News. Right. But um, I love that story. It's kind of crazy. It's a reminder that random crazy things do happen in life. But I love the neighbor that was in the backyard. And when she heard the noise and she heard the lady crying out for help down the culvert, and she said, we could hear her, but she could not hear us. And then I got to thinking, how many times does that statement describe our relationship with God? You know, you're in a situation, you got a problem, you're crying out to God for help. We believe He hears us, but can we hear Him? And I think that's kind of where we are sometimes. And that's what this psalm is going to teach us about, is uh, realizing that when we cry out to help for God, He can hear us even when we don't hear Him. You know, there's a lot of heartfelt prayers in the book of Psalms. I'm reminded of a few, like, how long, Lord? Have you ever felt like that? You know, you're waiting for God to do something. You're like, Lord, how much longer? That comes from Psalm 13.1 where it says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Sometimes we feel like that. At other times, we might say, God, where are you? I know in Psalm 42 that we looked at a couple weeks ago, uh, it says in verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, Where is your God? And so at that moment, the psalmist is saying, People were asking me, Where's your God? Where's your God? And I think it got in his head to where he's like, God, where are you? Maybe you felt like that. And then there's another psalm that has another prayer that says, God, don't, don't leave me. Don't abandon me. In Psalm 22, uh, it's a messianic psalm that ultimately was fulfilled in Jesus on the cross. But David cries out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest. So there are moments in our life when we find ourselves stuck, like that woman and that dog were. And we're crying out. And we hope God hears us. We believe He hears us. But we don't hear anything coming back. That's a scary place to be. It can get in your mind. It can get in your heart. It can make you wonder. And you can cry out, God, how much longer? Lord, where are you? God, have you left me? And many times we can find ourselves with those experiences and those emotions. And so the question I want to answer today is this. Can you and I depend upon God's promises? And I just want to give you the short answer. Yes, you can. In Joshua 21, uh, the leader uh, that followed Moses as he led the Israel into the promised land at the end of Joshua's life in Joshua 21, 45, he said, none of the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. In other words, God kept all his promises. A couple of chapters later, he says it again for emphasis in Joshua 23, 14. He says, now 
I'm going the way of the whore. In other words, he's fixing to die. And you know with all your heart and all your soul that none of the good promises the Lord your God made to you has failed. Everything was fulfilled for you. Not one promise has failed. Now what's significant about that statement is the backstory. You know that God used Moses, sent him back to Egypt, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Ten plagues. Finally, Pharaoh lets them go. They go to the Red Sea. They're hemmed in. When, when they look at the Red Sea, they can't get through. Here comes Pharaoh's army. Moses raises his staff. God moves the sea parts. They cross on dry ground. And then when the army of Egypt chases them, they're drowned in the sea. And even after all that activity of God, they refused to move forward in faith into the promised land. As a result, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and that whole generation died out. And then God raised up Joshua to be the new leader. And Joshua, with God's help, led them into the promised land so that they could possess it and it could become their land. And during those 40 years in the wilderness, the ones that lived through it, God provided something to drink, something to eat, and it even says that their clothes didn't wear out. I don't know about you, I'm kind of hard on shoes, right? You wear your shoes about six months, 12 months, and you look down one day and you have no tread marks and you nearly slip and you look at them and go, man, i got to get some new shoes. Can you imagine 40 years, same clothes, and they didn't wear out? And what Joshua is trying to say is every promise God made, he kept. He provided for us every step of the way. He guided our path every step. He provided for every need. He has brought us this far, and everything He promised was fulfilled. He, he kept all of His promises. What a track record when it comes to God and His work in, in our lives and in the world. And what I want you to see uh, before we read Psalm 105 this morning is that it's considered a historical psalm because it begins to review events of history, to celebrate God's faithful works done on behalf of His people. That's what Psalm 105 is about. And I want to simply ask this question now. How can you and I depend upon God's promises? And I believe if we read this psalm today, I believe we can give an answer to that. How we can depend upon God's promises. Number one, remember His works. Look, if you will, in Psalm 105, the first six verses, give thanks to the Lord call on His name, proclaim His deeds among the people, sing to Him, sing praise to Him, tell about all His wondrous works, honor His holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, seek the Lord and His strength, seek His face always. Remember the wondrous works He has done, His wonders and the judgments He has pronounced, you offspring of Abraham His servants, uh, Jacob's descendants, and his chosen ones. And so here he tells us to remember God's works. And when we do, it's not just recalling information. But when we remember God's works, it's the reason why we give thanks to him and we call on his name and we proclaim his deeds and we sing to him and we praise him and we honor him and we seek him with our heart and we rejoice and we seek his face. All those uh, verbs that stack up in the first four verses are what we do when we remember His works. 
when we remember what God has done in our lives, it prompts us to worship Him. We're like, oh yeah, God created me. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Him. Oh yeah, God, God sent Jesus and He purchased my salvation. And if it wasn't for that, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have Him in my life. And so you begin to remember His works as Creator and Redeemer. And it prompts you and I to praise Him. I love what the late, great Ruth Graham, wife of evangelist Billy Graham, uh, said. When she was still alive in this world, one day she was driving down the road and she saw a sign that said this, End of construction. Thank you for your patience. She was kind of amused by that. And when she read it a couple of times, she told Billy, she goes, Whenever I go home to be with the Lord, I want that on my tombstone. If you go to North Carolina now to their estate where they're buried, you will see those words on her tombstone that say, end of construction, thank you for your patience. As long as we know the Lord and we are alive on this earth, we can say, He's still working on me. Isn't that right? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And so I'm going to remember His works. I'm a work in progress. I remember what God's done. And it reminds me that not only has God done something in me, but He's not through with me yet. One of my favorite verses is Philippians 1.6, where Paul the Apostle to the church, said to the church in Philippi, he said, I'm sure of this, that He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. What's that mean? Here's what it means. Logan, Braxton, Elise, this God that's done a work in you is going to be with you. He's going to be in you. He's going to continue to work in your life from now till He comes back. Amen? Isn't that good? And that's what we all need to be reminded of. In other words, when God does a work in us, when He saves us, when He comes into our life, He doesn't say, all right, you're on the right team now. I'm, I'm busy. i got to go. No, He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. Jesus said in the Gospels that He had to leave that another might come, and that another is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit will come, and He'll be with us, and He will be in us, okay? And, and that same God that's done a work in us is going to continue to do a work in us until Christ comes back. And so He's still working on me. I'm under construction. So thank you for your patience. Amen? So remember His works. That's how we can depend on God's promises is remember His works, but not just remembering His works, but reviewing our journey of faith with the Lord. Now, as I read the rest of this psalm, it looks a little long, but I want you to listen to it as I read it. And as I read it, I want you to listen for the emphasis because just about every other verse, the emphasis is on God's activity, God's work among His people. Just listen in Psalm 105, beginning in verse 7. He is the Lord our God. His judgments govern the whole earth. He remembers His covenant forever, the promise He ordained for a thousand generations, the covenant He made with Abraham, swore to Isaac, and confirmed to Jacob as a decree, and to Israel as a permanent covenant. I will give the land of Canaan to you as your inherited portion. When they were few in number, very few indeed, and resident aliens in Canaan, wandering from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another, He allowed no one to oppress them. 
He rebuked kings on their behalf. Do not touch my anointed ones or harm my prophets. He called down famine against the land and destroyed the entire food supply. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with shackles. His neck was put in an iron collar until the time his prediction came true. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent for him and released him. The ruler of people set him free. He, that is the Lord, he made him master of his household, ruler over all his possessions, binding his officials at will and instructing his elders. Then Israel went to Egypt. Jacob lived as an alien in the land of Ham. The Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them more numerous than their foes, whose hearts he turned to hate his people and to deal deceptively with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his miraculous signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness, and it became dark, for they did not defy his commands. He turned their water into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land was overrun with frogs, even in their royal chambers. He spoke, and insects came, gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and lightning throughout their land. He struck their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their territory. He spoke, and locusts came, young locusts without number. They devoured all the vegetation in the land and consumed the produce of their land. He struck all the firstborn in the land, all their first progeny. So that is recapping the ten plagues that God did in Egypt to set His people free out of Egypt. And at every turn, God is doing this and God is doing that. But let's continue in verse 37. Then He brought Israel out with silver and gold, and no one among His tribes stumbled. Egypt was glad when they left, for the dread of Israel had fallen on them. He spread a cloud as a covering and gave a fire to light up the night. They asked, and He brought quail and satisfied them with bread from heaven. He opened a rock and water gushed out. It flowed like a stream in the desert, for He remembered His holy promise to Abraham, His servant. He brought His people out with rejoicing his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations, and they inherited what other people had worked for. Do you see through that whole narrative, it's emphasizing He, the Lord, He did this and He did that, and He did all these things for His people. God was at work among His people. You know, I can remember uh, growing up, I was talking to someone and, They were bitter toward God and bitter toward the church, and I couldn't reach them. They looked at me and said, God doesn't interfere in the affairs of men. And I I wish now I could go back. Uh, I was 17 years old, and I kind of didn't know what else to say after that. I just disagreed with them, but I didn't know how to rebut the argument. But when I read this psalm right here, I want you to know that God does interfere in the affairs of men. He, He created this world, okay? And one of these days at the end of history, he's going to return and he's going to, you know, judge the the wicked and reward the righteous and make all things new. 
And yes, God interferes in the affairs of men. As a matter of fact, 2,000 years ago, He proved it when He sent His Son into this world. And ultimately, He was the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. And so, yes, God does interfere. And what I want you to see today, if we're going to depend on God's promises, yes, we've got to remember His works, but we've got to review our journey of faith with the Lord. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's going back to the promise that God made to Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, whose name became Israel, the, the, the patriarch of the nation of Israel. And, and it's a reminder that all along the way, there were points to remind them of look what God did here and look at what God did there. And you and I, if we're going to depend on God's promises, we need to do the same. Matter of fact, I love the term spiritual markers. I don't know if you've heard of that before, spiritual markers. It's a, it's a term that I give credit to Henry Blackaby. Uh, came up with that in a study one time called Experiencing God. Uh, if you're going down the parkway here and you have car trouble, uh, if you're paying attention to the road, every mile there's a mile marker. And if you've got to call somebody for help, you can say, hey, I need some help. I'm at mile marker 65 or just pick one. And if you tell them what mile marker you're at, they know exactly where you are. It can kind of pinpoint where you are. Well, you and I need spiritual markers in our life that kind of remind us of major moments in our life where God did something. For instance, can you remember the moment you were saved? Or what about the time God was calling you to trust and follow Him in a certain situation or a problem that you had? Maybe you can think of where a moment when God clearly guided you to make a difficult decision you were at a crossroads and you were trying to determine, Lord, what should I do? And you sought Him and over time He revealed, this is the path I want you to take. Have there been times and moments where God spoke to you and worked in your life, uh, drawing you closer to Him? Those are spiritual markers. And you and I need to keep track of those markers in our life and those moments in our life and remind them, uh, remind them and review them to say, look at what God did here, here, and here. I mean, I've got a few. I'll give you an example. I can remember when I was saved. I was 17 years old, and I can remember when I got saved. But the story started quite a few months before that. I mean, I had people that loved me. I had people that prayed for me. I had people that invited me to church. I remember as a freshman going to church for the wrong reasons, and then I didn't go to church. And then I can remember as a junior, I was involved in a single wreck accident. It's called being in a hurry, going down a hill on a gravel road, Ed, and forgetting there's a curve at the bottom of the hill and go, whoops, loose gravel. And, and God, God took my car away and I got so bored, I cleaned my room. And, and teenagers, I'm cleaning my room and I find some old Sunday school lessons. Well, one thing leads to another and, and I look back on it now. God was getting my attention. He was kind of kind of getting my attention and I was looking at things that had been planted in my life and I was doing a lot of soul searching. And over a period of weeks and months, you know, people were praying for me. People were inviting me to church. I didn't put all that together at the time. I ended up going to church on an Easter Sunday. My wreck happened in December and I went to this church and all my friends that invited me to church went to the same church, Devin. How cool was that? And so I came back the next week and the next week. And after six months of hearing God's word preached, one Sunday the Holy Spirit just phew, 
went straight to my heart. And I realized, if I die now, I don't know the Lord. And that's not where I want to be. You know, I don't want to be without him. And, and, and I got saved. And I can remember that moment in my life. That's the first spiritual marker in my life. I can remember when I was called to ministry. And again, that was a struggle. It happened over a period of time. And uh, I remember praying about it and, and thinking, oh, it'd be cool to preach someday. And then I'm like, no, it won't. Where'd that come from? You know, and I can remember struggling with the, uh, the call. And, and I remember talking to my pastor and I went back and I prayed some more. And it all came to, to uh, a, a climax when it's uh, early June and our pastor's out of town on vacation. And he had a preacher boy from Union University come and preach that Sunday morning and that Sunday night. And the whole time the Lord's like, Corey, that's what I want you to do. And I mean, you talking about convicting. I remember after that Sunday night was over, I went, to, I went home that night, closed my door, and I said, God, I'm not going to sleep tonight until I settle this. I either I'm going to preach or I'm not going to preach and I don't want to ever deal with this again. You know what happened? I stayed up all night. And finally at 3.30 a.m., I remember I surrendered to God and uh, I just cried out to him. And then when my mom woke up at five, this boy is not a morning person. I'm like, hey, mom, how you doing? You want to talk? I'm ready. When you want. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, then you've got, I remember praying for a mate. I don't know where, where Danny's at. I know that uh, when I surrendered, preached, Danny and I were in the same youth group. He's like, oh, man, you don't have anything to worry about now. You're serving God. God will bring a godly woman to you. You know, you don't even have to worry about it. And I'm like, I wish I had the confidence that you did. You know, that was Adam. This is Corey. And uh, I can remember, I remember praying uh, for a mate and, you know, went through uh, high school, went through college, started in the workplace, uh, went to my first church. And I'm like, Lord, where is she? You know? <laughs> and uh, anyway, I can remember reading a, a book about God's will. And the author of the book talked about how in college his roommate married this godly woman and this guy was going to the ministry and he told his friend that was going to the ministry, he says, when you're ready, you need to ask God to send you a pure godly woman to date and he'll send you one. And uh, next thing you know, God answered that prayer and that's what happened. And I read that in that book and I'm like, well, it won't hurt, right? And next thing you know, I, I'm praying God, you know, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm ready when you are. I, I, I want to find a godly woman. And you know what happened? It's, it's funny how things happen, but here I was, bivocational pastor in my first church. They had two goals, fat me up and marry me off. Well, they succeeded in one. <laughs> All right? You know, you have those uh, fellowships, and they go, Brother Corey, you going to try mine? Yeah. Well, mine's good, too. Okay, <laughs> but uh, one thing led to another, and uh, I had this mutual friend that said, you got to meet my pastor, and so I called that number, and I met this pastor. He became a mentor to me. Uh, he became a friend to me. I left the church where I was serving and went over here to this church, and I hadn't been there that long at all, and the pastor's wife, without me saying a thing, she goes, Corey, you need a godly woman. And I just know who it is. 
it's this beautiful red head over here named Nancy. I'm like, who? Hello. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. He answers prayer. And so you, you think about all the times, uh, the moments, the mile markers in your life. I mean, I could go on and on and on, and I'm not trying to talk about me, but I just want you to realize that there are moments in your life where you can look back and go, I remember when God spoke to me here, when he did this there, when he led me to do that, this, and this, and that, and you look back at those moments, and you review them, and you go, wow, look how God moved in my life. And that's how we learn to depend upon his promises. We remember his works, and we review our journey of faith with the Lord. And the third thing is realize that the Lord is faithful. I love this last verse of the psalm. After he introduces God's works and he reviews the journey that God led Israel through, he says in verse 45, the last verse, all this happened so that they, that is Israel, might keep his statutes and obey his instructions. Hallelujah. I love that hallelujah at the end. Uh, In other words, if you and I are going to depend upon God's promises, remember His works, review our journey of faith with the Lord, and then realize He's faithful. I mean, once you go through those steps, you'll go, man, God's faithful. He took care of every need. He guided every step. He opened every door. He was there the whole time. He did it all. He's faithful. And He is. You know, to bring this closer to home, it reminds me of a verse in the New Testament. Uh, Romans 8.28, maybe you've heard it before, but maybe you've never really thought about what it means. In Romans 8.28, it says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Now, this, this verse doesn't apply to everybody. This verse applies to believers. If you love God, and you're following His calling in your life to to trust and follow Him, then you can know something to be true. And that is that all things work together for the good. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that happens is good, but it means that God can take the things that happen and He can cause them to work together for your good. Let me give you a, a quick illustration on that. When we look at Psalm 105, what's this talking about? It's talking about the promise and the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. It highlights the time when they were slaves in Egypt, and through a series of ten plagues, God brings them out of Egypt, and every bit of it is God, 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 God. He's the one that did it all. He was actively at work among His people. Now, it mentioned Joseph, and remember it said that Joseph... The word of the Lord tested him until his prediction came true and that he was sold as a slave and they even had an iron, uh, an iron thing around his neck. What a picture that is. Remember Joseph? He was one of the younger sons of, uh, of Jacob and he had, a, he, had, he had a dream and he told his brothers and he told his family, he said, I had this dream and, and, and uh, y'all were all bowing down to me. And the brothers didn't like that especially the older brothers, like, who do you think you are, boy, you know? And they were jealous of him, and they did not like him. And yet God gave him that vision that, that later on in life that, that, that God would raise up Joseph to rule over his people, and they would all bow, bow down to him. Now, it wasn't an ego thing. It wasn't 
anything selfish at all, but it was a vision of God's plan for Joseph in the future. And it's something that he held on to, even though he was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, and they thought they would never see him again. And he faithfully served God where he was, and one day it gets to a new low. He is thrown into prison, accused of a crime that he didn't commit. But then, then the day comes that Pharaoh has a vision. He has a dream. And nobody can interpret it. Nobody can explain it. And finally, these people go, I know a guy in prison, he's a Hebrew slave, and he can do it. And all of a sudden, in a New York minute, the Pharaoh summons Joseph. He stands before Pharaoh, and he says, well, I can't do it, but God can. And he begins to interpret the dream. And just like that, Pharaoh says, you're the man. The Spirit of God is in you, and I'm putting you in charge. There's no one over you except me. And I want you to prepare the people because the dream that God gave Pharaoh was seven good years of abundance and then seven years of famine. And so Joseph said, what I would do is I would save as much as I can each of the seven good years so you have enough food to get through the seven bad years of famine. And all of a sudden, this dream that God gave Joseph is happening because he goes from the prison to the palace. And about... A year or two later, the famine is so bad, what happens? His brothers come and they bow down to him. They don't know who he is. They think he's dead and gone. They don't even recognize him because he's looking like Egyptian, walking like an Egyptian. You get the idea. And yet, here's the thing that I want to highlight in that story that kind of is tied to this narrative of Psalm 105. They, he realizes who they are. He wants to test their honesty and their character. And so he accuses them of being spies. He asks them all these details and he learns that they have another brother and, and their father is at home and he's old. And then they have another brother they don't know anything about. And he says, I think you're lying to me. He says, next time you come back, you better bring that other brother or I don't believe you. And they go home. And when they get home, they find that their money's been put back in their sacks of grain. And now they're scared because they're like, oh my goodness, he's going to think we stole. So the day comes, they run out of food, and they got to go back. And they tell dad, that guy asked a lot of questions. We told him we have another younger brother at home. And he says, if he don't go, we're not getting any more food. And at that, in Genesis 42, 36, Jacob, the older dad, Here's what he says in chapter 42 of Genesis, verse 36. Their father Jacob said to them, It's me that you make childless. Joseph's gone and Simeon is gone. Simeon was left behind in jail in Egypt. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything happens to me. So Jacob uh, is looking at this and he's like, I lost one son. He never came back home. Now one is in jail in Egypt, held in custody that won't be released until y'all go back with Benjamin. And now you want to take Benjamin. And he says, everything happens to me. In other words, everything's against me. Have you ever felt that way? You're in the middle of life, you're in the middle of a situation, and all you see are the problems, and you're like, it's just against me. It's against me. I, there, there's nothing I can do. What am I supposed to do with this? It's all against me. But see, we're reading it as narrative in the Old Testament. And what I want to say is, keep reading because you haven't finished the story. The rest of the story goes this. They end up taking Benjamin. They go back 
to Egypt. They meet Joseph. He sees his younger brother. And then when he dismisses the Egyptians, he begins to reveal who he really is. And you know what he says? In Genesis 45, later on in the story, he says, Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because they're the ones that sold him into slavery. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Return quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. Man, that's good, isn't it? You see, when a dream comes from God, when it's really from God, that promise will be fulfilled. And that's exactly what happened in Joseph's life. You and I are going through life and all we see is the problems and we're wondering, God, where are you? God, how much longer? Lord, don't leave me. And then things happen and we're like, oh, it's all against me. And and you just need to realize that the story is being written and you're in the middle of it. And God says, what you don't realize is I'm working everything out for your good. You've got to trust me and watch it all come together. When Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and sold as a slave, it didn't look like God had a plan, did it? When when Joseph was falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit in Egypt and thrown into prison, it didn't look like God had a plan, didn't it? When, 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 When Pharaoh was angry at the butler and the baker and they both had dreams and they came to Joseph in jail and he told them what the dreams meant and how they how they would play out, and one of you is going to die, one of you is going to be spared. And sure enough, one died and the other one was spared and restored to service to Pharaoh. And, and, and Joseph sees this as a moment. He says, hey, remember me. Don't forget me. And then like another two years go by in prison. God completely forgot him. Until one day, Pharaoh had a dream or a vision and he couldn't explain it. He didn't understand it. And he said, bring all my magicians, bring all my wise men, sages, And he told him, and nobody could explain it to him. And then finally, the man that was spared, that was restored to service, said, Hey, Pharaoh, I know a guy. This Hebrew slave in prison. Remember when you were mad at me and the other servant? We had dreams, and he interpreted them, and they happened just like he said he would. And Pharaoh said, I want to see this man right now. And just like that, God took Joseph, and put him in Pharaoh, gave him the words to say, gave him the wisdom to interpret the dream. And all of a sudden, all those things that looked like they were just a messed up plan came together. You see, God was sending Joseph ahead of his family to save lives. And he used the jealousy of his own brothers and their spite to get him to a one-way ticket to Egypt. And once he was there, he learned how to manage a household. And then he learned how to oversee a prison. And when the day was come, he was prepared and ready to run a country. All in the providence of God. 
What I want to say to you today is this. As a believer in Christ, all things do work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And God wants to do that in you. Jerry Bridges, a Christian author, tells a story about growing up in Texas and how he loved his mother's buttermilk biscuits because she made them from scratch every single morning. He says, you know, there's not a single ingredient in those biscuits that I would have enjoyed by themselves. And quite frankly, even after she does her magical uh, touch with the biscuits, I still don't want to eat them raw. It's only after they've been in the, the fire of affliction of that oven at just the right time and temp that they come out fresh. He says, that's when they're good. And he says this, he says, in the same way in God's wisdom and love, he takes all the events of our lives, the good and the bad, and he blends them together so that they work together ultimately for our good and his glory. And today, I want to tell you that you can depend on the promises of God. Review his works or remember his works. Review your, your spiritual markers of how God has worked in your life up until this point and realize he is faithful. Let's all stand. Musicians and ushers, if you will come, we're going to have a time of invitation. And it's my prayer today that God would have his way in all of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. Thank you for this time to worship you. Thank you for this time to hear your word. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that we might step out in faith and trust and follow you. Lord, thank you for the examples we've seen today, Lord. Three young people that have gone public with their faith and followed you in obedience with believers' baptism. And Lord, may that encourage all of us, Lord, to realize that we can depend on your promises. We look at your words. We review our journey with you. We look at the spiritual markers. And Lord, we realize that you are faithful. Every promise you've made, you've kept. Not one has failed. Father, we pray right now for your will to be done in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. The ushers come. We have these next step cards that we, we have. There will be one in the bulletin. And if you would, just fill that out and let us know. If you have a prayer request, I've had prayer requests on these. If you want to take your next step with Jesus, if you're interested in a disciple group or serving on a ministry team, uh, if you want to join the church, whatever the case may be, would you just put that on there and, and drop it in? Or you can drop it in the drop box in the back or at the Welcome Center after the service is over, and we'll, we'll reach out to you. I'm reminded of one Bible verse I want to share, and that's this. It's Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, every one of God's promises is yes in Him, and the Him refers to Christ. So every one of God's promises is yes in Christ. Remember when I said a while ago about Romans 8, 28, that it doesn't apply to everybody. It applies to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. I want to tell you something. God's promises are available to everyone but they're fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You have to have Christ in your life. You can't just treat God like a, like a genie in a bottle and expect Him to do your bidding. 
He's God. He's Lord. He's King. He's Creator. He's Redeemer. All of His promises are yes in Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you have Christ in your life? Has there ever been a time and a place where you turned from the way you were living and put your trust in Jesus to follow Him from that moment forward? That's what I'm asking you to do today. If you've never done that, my prayer is you'll do that now. We'll be down here, Danny and I both. You want to pray, whatever you want to do, we want to encourage you to take that next step to follow Jesus, or maybe in some cases that first step to trust and follow Jesus. Whatever it is that God is leading you to do, I pray that you'll do it right now. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.